Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we have been looking together at places in the Gospels where folks argue uh, with Jesus, or sometimes um, where Jesus argues with them. And this morning, we're going to look at two related disagreements that Jesus has uh, with his closest friends, the disciples. So I'm going to read from Matthew 18 and 19 for us. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask now as we uh, talk for a few minutes about this word that we've read and, and heard together, um, we ask that you would visit us in whatever place we find ourselves this morning, whatever condition inside of faith or out, outside of faith, that you would meet us, that you would show us Jesus' grace, and that you would begin to change us by it. And we ask this in his name. Amen. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I don't know uh, why the disciples asked that question at this particular moment, but I do know that it didn't happen in a vacuum. Um, Peter had just been commended very highly. In fact, Jesus had called him the rock on whom he was going to build the church. And then he took Peter and James and John up to the top of a mountain, and they saw things I'm sure they had never dreamed they would see in all of their lives. And now I'm sure that the other nine guys were wondering if maybe there was a little inner circle forming among the disciples, if maybe there was a way they could break into that. Um, this uh, notion of greatness... And this notion of uh, good positions and this notion of honor was a recurrent theme for these guys. And honestly, I don't know that they fully get over it uh, until maybe Jesus' ascension or the day of Pentecost, but that's a sermon for another time. Right now, they want to know who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Well, the kingdom of heaven isn't uh, a geographic entity. It is a present reality. It is God's gracious rule of the world in Jesus. Uh, and as Jesus taught many times, the way that we enter into that kingdom is through repentance. We turn away from every other kingdom and every other rule, including our own fake empire of the self, 
and we follow after Jesus in faith. Now, I don't know if the disciples got this notion that the kingdom wasn't going to be just this uh, geographic entity. I don't know if they, they picked up on all of that yet, but they had definitely gotten that we enter in by following Jesus, and they had done that. And so now they just want to know, who is the greatest Jesus? Just, just give us an index so we can know who to shoot for. You know, of course, God's people had a colorful history. They had long lists of greats that they could draw from. There were all of the matriarchs and patriarchs like Abraham and Sarah. There were all of the heroes, you know, like Deborah and Samson and the mighty great judges. There were all of the warriors and kings like David. There were all of these, these fiery, fearless prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos. There were sages leaders like Daniel, Solomon, and Nehemiah, and there were countless martyrs and countless zealots, many of them celebrated still in the minds of God's people. And here's what Jesus says, forget all of them, forget all of them, calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. This unnamed kid becomes the object lesson. And he looked them in the eye. And he said, truly, I say to you, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a direct assault on their notions of value this is a direct assault on the disciples' notions of greatness in this kingdom that Jesus was building. And church, I hope that we will let it be the same to us. The same kind of direct assault on our own notions of greatness, on our own values, to the fullest extent that we need it to be. So, of course, it's really important to think about what Jesus means. What is this object lesson about? And that means that we need to think a little bit about how children were regarded in the ancient world. And the truth is, they were not regarded much at all. I mean, of course, families love their children, um, but their status uh, as, uh, as a class to the society as a whole was extremely negligible. I mean, outside of immediate families, children were the last category of human beings to be considered when things were structured, when laws and societies were built. And the list of adjectives uh, used to describe children in the first century, it is deeply telling. Words like insignificant, powerless, vulnerable, subject, needy, socially invisible, ignored, dominated, exploited, little esteemed, helpless, dependent. That's the index that Jesus gives his friends. Aim for that. Jesus isn't pointing uh, to some romanticized notion about children like innocence or purity. He is simply indicating their low status 
and their low esteem in the eyes of the world. And obviously for people like us to, to become like that, which is what Jesus says, you have to become like that. <laughs> it will take humility, and that is the essence of what Jesus is saying to us. It is a call to humility. And he, of course, he gives voice to that in verse 4. He says, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus isn't appealing to our logic here, as if we could somehow think our way into humility, although the logic is really clear and easy to follow. Jesus is appealing to our affections here. Jesus is appealing to the things that we love and the things uh, that we value, the things that we esteem. Do we love the right things? Do we seek out the right things? Do we value the right things? Because in Jesus' kingdom and under the rule of Jesus, greatness is not defined by the survival of the fittest. Great does not equal the strongest or the fastest or the loudest or the best or the smartest or the biggest or the most successful. There's nothing inherently wrong in those things. What Jesus is saying, however, is that they have nothing, absolutely nothing to do with greatness in the way that Jesus regards greatness. Because in the kingdom of heaven, Humility equals greatness. And so I, I ask, you know, do I love that? Do I love that that's the way the kingdom of God works? Am I moving towards being able to love that? Are we together moving towards loving that? And I think that for you and I to be able to move towards that, to be able to begin to love that will require a couple things of us. First, at the very base, we, we won't make much progress at all in moving towards humility if we don't first open-handedly, all of us admit, our dependence on God. That is hard for people like us in places like this to do. We need to admit that we haven't ultimately made ourselves who we are, that, that all that we have has been given to us. That we can trace everything that we have and, and all that we've built or all that we've made or all that we have succeeded in back to the gifts that God has given us first. We've got to be in a place where we can admit that we are totally dependent on God. And secondly, we have to be honest about our own weakness, our own vulnerability, our own desire to build our own fake empires without his help. We need to remember our own sin. In short, what we need to remember is that we have been saved by the grace of God and Jesus and absolutely nothing else. We didn't bring anything to the table. And church, people who believe those things, that we are really dependent on God and that we did not add anything to being forgiven and made new, people who believe those things in a thoroughgoing way and live out of those beliefs are people in whom humility slowly grows. And I don't need to tell you the disastrous effects of a world that does not live that way. It's, it's all around us. 
hardly any argument needs to be made. Let's be honest, I mean, mostly people do not love the kind of great that Jesus is talking about. Loud, strong, fast, smart, influential, powerful, clever. These are all more celebrated forms of great than humble. And I think that notion of greatness, our, our value of that kind of greatness is, is why whenever you know, anything of note happens in our world, there's this mad rush to be absolutely correct about it as soon as we possibly can because there's not a second to be wasted and you have to have the right words right away or you look like a sucker. And I think that notion of greatness that goes after influence and power, that, that's why we care, <laughs> you know, what celebrities and people of influence in whatever our sphere is. We care what they think before we care whether they're qualified to speak on these things. That notion of greatness that goes after power and savvy. <laughs> I think that's why even though every one of us knows we're, we're polarized and we talk past each other angrily as a habit, that's why we keep rolling in it, we keep clicking it, we keep forwarding it, we keep retweeting it. Because of greatness, if, if power, if savvy, if influence are the highest values of greatness, and we see something that we think can deliver that stuff to us, then we will often take the shortest route there, even if it is the most brutal route there. And Jesus is just saying, that is not greatness. Jesus is calling you and I to be a, a very different people, humble people. People who remember who we are, people who remember the grace that we have been given. I mean, these are, <laughs> these are fraught times in our national life. Maybe you've heard there's an election coming up, a lot of chaos surrounding that election. All of these really incredibly important conversations uh, that need to happen about race, about justice, about policing, but they are often set up as zero-sum games with strikes and counter-strikes. And so we have to ask, what does it look like to approach these things? What does it look like to walk towards these things with the kind of humility that Jesus has called us to put on? What does it look like for us to become like children. And I think, church, that humility requires that we don't view our conversations, that we don't view our relationships, that we don't view our disagreements as conquests to be won. Humility requires that we have our hands open and that we admit that we don't know all that there is to know and that we need to learn we admit that we might be wrong. This is where Christian people always start because if anyone knows that we've been wrong, it's us. And we leave space for others to be wrong too so that maybe we can talk together about what's right. Listen, Jesus' um, call to humility is in no way an attempt for him to throw a wet blanket over our ambition to change things. I mean, for goodness sakes, that's what the kingdom of God is. It is the changing of this broken world. 
into the just and peaceable kingdom of God. That's, that's what it is. It is about changing things for the better and for good. Jesus' call to us to repent, this individual call, is a call to change. He's not interested in dampening our ambition to change, but he is interested in calling us to cultivate our affections towards the kind of things that he loves. Because once our loves become like his, that changes absolutely everything that we do and our relationships and our, and our conversations and our disagreements become not places of conquest, but places where we give of ourselves in love. We begin to show others the kind of love that Jesus has shown first to us in our own weakness and vulnerability and sinfulness. And we remember he didn't do this despite the fact that that's who we were. <laughs> he did this be precisely because that's who we were. And we begin to show that love to others in humility. And I know that humility is difficult. You don't just wake up in the morning and go, I'm going to be humble today. <laughs> And I know that more often than not, it doesn't look like winning anything. There are a million reasons that it's easy to forget what te Jesus teaches us here. And the disciples do it again and again. They're in this story for us, not as foils against us, but so that we can see our own place in this story. That's who we are. So you fast forward a little bit and Jesus and the disciples travel to Judea. And when they get there, some parents bring their kids out to Jesus so that he can lay his hands on them and, and bless them and pray for them. And what do the disciples do? <laughs> they rebuke the parents. You know, they're thinking to themselves, I know Jesus has more important things to attend to. He's, he's got grown-ups that he needs to talk to and teach. They've got such short memories and their ideas and notions of greatness are still all out of whack and they need to learn to love what Jesus loves still <laughs> so this argument is very short and very one-sided Jesus looks at them and says let the little children come to me don't hinder them and then he jogs their memories and our memories too for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he touches those kids and he blesses them. And then Matthew says, he went away. And church, it's really deeply important for us to consider what that means and where he is headed when he went away. The journey to Jerusalem is about to begin. Jesus is heading to the cross. And the Apostle Paul's uh, commentary on that from our New Testament lesson needs to be heard again. When the Apostle Paul sees Jesus heading off to the cross, this is what he says. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And church, if you'll let me put it like this, this did not look like winning anything. 
It looked like a tragic loss. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. But in the divine scandal that is the gospel, <laughs> it was greatness. And so therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. That is our king, church. <laughs> he humbled himself for these slow-to-learn disciples. He humbled himself for us. And to follow him in faith is to have his spirit in us, reminding us what he taught us and changing our affections to love what he loves, to learn to love these wildly inverted values of the kingdom of heaven, where greatness equals humility. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us alone. We thank you that you have given us your spirit and he is working overtime on people like us to help us to remember what you taught us. And he is working to slowly build our loves to look like Jesus loves. So Father, we ask that you would help us to be a people who on our side of things do everything uh, as humanly possible to be part of that process beginning always and continuing always with repentance when we have failed. Father, we ask that you would do that uh, for our good so that we could grow up in the faith. And we ask that you would do that so that through us you can love into this broken world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.